The views and opinions expressed on Unlock Your Wealth Radio are those of the host, guests, and callers only and are not necessarily the views of Unlock Your Wealth Radio, Heather Wagonalls, or Success Publishing International. Worried about retirement? Want to travel the world or just be around to watch your kids grow up but you can't because you're drowning in debt? Now you can with Heather Wagonhalls and the Keys to Riches powered by Unlock Your Wealth Radio. Heather will show you how to stop chasing your wallet, eliminate debt, lose financial stress, and live the life of your dreams. If you truly ever wanted to have more, do more, be and give back more, now's your chance. Listen weekly to hear what others are doing to manage their money better with these proven strategies for building wealth with the Keys to Riches financial philosophy. Now, here's your host, Heather Wagonhalls. Yay, we're here and let's get started, shall we? You are listening to Keys to Riches powered by Unlock Your Wealth Radio. This segment is sponsored by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at keystoriches.com forward slash free book and click on the link to over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the show, everyone. We are so glad to have you. I am your purveyor of prosperity, Heather Wagonhalls, and I am flanked by the illustrious maestro of moolah is this thing on <laughs> let's hope so michael terry hey folks glad to have you sitting here flanking me as we help folks get their money mind right so their wealth and happiness will follow we have an awesome show in store for you this week uh because it is our ninth key right miguel it is our ninth key create credit and uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what credit is, what it isn't, and what you can do to build the best credit profile, because this key falls in line with next week's key, which is remember. Real estate. Real estate. Yeah. And, uh, and in that key, this layer, or our credit, is an actual layer of risk when it comes to underwriting. And speaking of underwriting, we have a great word uh, for our moolah word of the day, too, by the way. What would that be? Um, well, it's not that time yet. Oh. Because we're still talking about the show. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, and I've been producing this show for how long now? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Apparently, we need one more show to get it right. right. <laughs> uh, but that's okay. Uh, so, um, so, also, our money drama this week is going to be about credit and about like impulse shopping and how that detrimentally affects our ability to achieve our dreams. Um, we're going to look at it more from the credit side as to what goes on in your credit profile and, and why impulse spending can be a problem for you because of the way your credit history tracks. But we'll talk about all of that on today's show. So That's we've got great. a lot to do in a little bit amount of time. So be ready, strap in, fasten those seatbelts, get out the pencils or pens, and let's get ready to take some notes because here we go. First, moolah word of the day. Moolah word. Our moolah word is a phrase and it would be credit analyst and a credit analyst is one who performs credit analysis oh <laughs> 
Okay, so you probably want a little bit more to that definition, don't you? Uh, A credit analysis is the process of evaluating an applicant's loan request or a corporation's debt issue, meaning they're going to sell bonds, in order to determine the likelihood that the borrower will live up to his or her obligations. In other words, credit analysts examine the financial history of an applicant in order to determine credit worthiness. And it's a little bit more than that, because we'll talk about the four layers of risk. I'll I'll introduce you to them this week, and then next week we're going to fully engulf ourselves in what the four layers of risk are and help you learn how to evaluate uh, where you are and how close to or far away from home ownership and real estate investment you are, because that is the fastest way to make money. Um, and to create an income stream as well as have capital appreciation. Those two things are not usually synonymous in in investments. Plus, um, it's a secured investment, and I love security. I love somebody trying to make me confident about going forward with an investment decision, and real estate is one of the greatest ways to do that. However, this key exists because we must be able to leverage ourselves Unless we are already rich and are just trying to get richer and we can stroke a check for 300000 for an investment property, likely we're going to require some sort of financing. And that's where this week's key comes into play. So if we just continue briefly with the credit analyst, we'll talk about, let me explain to you what he's analyzing. We'll go into detail next week, but he's analyzing four things or what they call the four C's of underwriting, and that's character, capacity, capital, and collateral. So the first one is what we're going to talk about today, character. And the way our character is determined in the underwriting loan applying sense is that how we have paid our bills in the past is a really good indicator for how we'll pay our bills in the future. Pop question, why is that true? Um biology-based. Ding, 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 ding. Yes, sir. Because we're creatures of habit. And we always do what we've always done. And uh, for those of you who've been with us for some time, we had T. Harv Ecker on, The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. And he's like, I can predict your financial future in one minute. He goes, no, wait a minute. I can do it in less than a minute. I can do it not in 60 seconds, but in six seconds. And he's just like, are you ready? I'm like, okay. And he goes, how much money do you have? (laughs) How much have you saved so far? And that will be an indicator of how well you're going to do it. And if you've got a big goose egg, then that's what your financial future is going to have. You're still going to have a goose egg. Why? Because of biology. Because the behavior is already in place and it's subconscious, if we recall that from our previous episodes that address more dealing with the mind, like take emotion out of the picture. And um, uh, um, knowledge is power, not knowing is powerful. And then our sixth key, hope for the best plan for the worst, where we all talk about the biology of money management and how that gets in the way. So that kind of has to do with our money drama today, with the impulse spending thing. So we have to ask ourselves um, when it comes to uh, great credit, what are the things that are involved? And we're going to talk about that on today's show. So, but this is a very important part of our four layers of risk because, you know, while, you know, credit is cool, but cash is king. And the only way to fix bad credit is to have big cash. Because when we talk about underwriting or the four C's, they're layers of risk. 
which means you can use one to overcompensate for a weakness in the other layers of risk. It's just you have to be able to weave a nice comfy blanket to give the underwriter confidence to go forward. And that's the whole purpose of the four layers of risk. So, so we uh, mitigate you know, loss by adding quality layers of risk. So credit is important. We're going to talk about what goes into a successful, um, properly leveraged credit profile here in a moment. But let's address the other layers of risk. So capacity is your ability to pay. So that's how much money you make, your income. And that's income from all sources. So whether it's disability income, retirement income, alimony, child support, separate maintenance, like whatever you want to provide to qualify for the loan. You don't have to disclose all your income. And if you are wealthy, I would only disclose enough, and this is just me personally, I I would only disclose enough to qualify for the loan because nobody needs to know how much you totally have. We're in too much of a digital world. And being an identity theft risk management specialist, nobody needs that much information about you. Nobody. So capacity is your ability to pay the note. And that has to do with ratios and qualifying. And we're going to talk about that on the Remember Real Estate Key because that's part of our assessment that we're going to do is we're going to do an affordability assessment when when it comes to qualifying for residential or um, commercial investment real estate. But that's an important layer of risk. So you have to have the ability to repay the note. The next layer of risk is capital. And capital is two things. It's how much skin in the game you're going to have, meaning your down payment. And it's also reserves. How much are you going to have left over after you make this big down payment? Is it going to wipe you out? Or are you going to still have some cash to kind of pay bills and stuff? Because when it comes to stuff like buying homes, when we talk about um, the importance of ability to pay, uh, that's only one portion. Like if your income covered the mortgage dollar for dollar, you ain't going to qualify. It's a ratio and you have to have more than enough because they need to know that not only can you afford the mortgage, but you can afford everything else that's already contained in your credit profile. Now, the final layer of risk has nothing to do with me, you, or, you know, what's in the stars. Uh, And that's collateral. And collateral is the value of whatever it is that you're posting as a a security instrument to secure the loan, meaning to secure the loan. So if I give you this money and you don't pay, I can take whatever collateral there is. And collateral, especially in the real estate sense, is not what you paid for it. It's not appraised value, or I'm sorry, it's not um, willing buyer, willing seller negotiating freely in an open market. It is only appraised value. I misspoke there. So when we talk about market influences and market conditions, they can artificially inflate or deflate the value of a property. So for example, what spurred the real estate and mortgage markets that ultimately led to its demise with the crash in 07 and 08 was the snatch and grab here in Arizona is is when it started here, we had a bunch of real estate investment money coming over from California. And we actually were at a weird low inventory point. So prices were holding steady and slightly climbing. But with this influx of cash and influx of buyers, and when you do a qualified investment like a 1031 exchange, you have a limited window to resync that money. And so, it, for example, if somebody in California just sold a property, 
for $300,000 and they come here and the property is only 100000 but there's so many people fighting over this property, they don't even care if they pay one fifty. Because it's still in their minds cheaper, even though they're pay- overpaying the market, you know, by 40000 if it's listed at 110 they don't care because it's still a bargain in their minds from where they're from. And so it created this artificial value and appraisers held steady. Homes were not appraising for these ungodly prices that we were seeing. Right. You know, I remember I had this young couple, they finally bought their first home home, single family home, and they were moving out of their town home and they fixed it up. But on a good day, it was maybe worth 90. And I swear in 40 minutes, I had like a zillion offers. And I had stupid, ridiculous offers from real estate agents that don't even know how to write contracts saying, you know, uh, our offers for $5 more than your highest offer. So I could, if I was disingenuous, I could have like had one of my other realtor buddies submit an offer for 200000 yeah. yeah, on this little $90,000 thing. But I wound up selling it for 130. Wow. 130. And it took me all of two hours to get that negotiated. And we knew it wouldn't appraise, and so I actually put an addendum in there saying I know that that willing buyer, willing seller negotiating freely in an open market does not dictate value, and that buyer assumes the responsibility of whatever they can't finance that they have to come out of cash with. And that's exactly what happened. They had to put cash down in order to get the mortgage Mm -hmm. on this particular property. It actually didn't go to an investor. It went to somebody that actually wanted to live there, which was unfortunate because they overpaid for a $90,000 condo, yeah, yes. you know, but uh, I mean, and it was this crazy things. So, so we have to remember, uh, and, and if you watch a lot of these real estate shows, um, and Armando Montalongo, past guest, ultimate speaker, great, uh, real estate investment, um, guru, I think out there, did a wonderful job. Um, you know, when, when he did his show with us before, he deliberately buys and sells under the market. So he doesn't have inventory sitting there. By the time he's finished building, he usually has a buyer because he prices his properties to move. And what people don't realize is you make your money on the buy, not the sell. Yeah. And so if you don't make your money on the buy, <laughs> you ain't going to make it on the sale. Yeah. Just saying. But anyway, I digress. So the four layers of risk, character, capacity, capital, and collateral, they all weave together to create a security blanket for the underwriter to say, yes, or the security analyst, as is with our moolah word of the day. You are listening to Keys to Riches, powered by Unlock Your Wealth Radio. This segment is sponsored by KeepMyID.org, the only service that actually prevents identity theft. All others are just monitoring services. Put your credit on lockdown for their special offer for Keys to Riches radio listeners by visiting keystoriches.com forward slash keepmyid and put your credit on lockdown and protect your financial future right now. Remember to use promo code WAGS. So, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, thank you so much for being a part of Keys to Riches Radio today. The Keys to Riches is a baker's dozen of financial concepts that not only teach you how to think like the rich and be in control of your own money, but it also gives you specific techniques to create or fix your credit, eliminate debt, save and invest, all while transforming your current financial habits into healthy money management skills. And we do this one key at a time, one week at a time here at Keys to Riches Radio. And we're this is our ninth key, create credit. Create credit. 
So now that we understand what a security analyst is doing, we need to look at what an ideal credit profile is in order for you to become a real estate owner and real estate investor. And you don't have to own property first to begin investing in it. Although um, most people used primary residence as a stepping stone to real estate investment. So that's something to consider, especially if you're younger and haven't, um, you don't have a big family, you can move around a bit. You know, we have in our uh, financial fluency and financial mastery courses um, in our Unlock Your Wealth Foundation um, educational series. Uh, the the first series is obviously financial literacy. We go to financial fluency next and then financial mastery. And in there, we discuss in detail our real estate investment strategy that will make you a millionaire in five years or less without having to quit your day job. Especially if you work at a job that you love, but it doesn't bring a whole lot of bread. Yeah. You know, you can still retire rich and you can have other people build your wealth. But we'll talk more about that on next week's key because that has to do more with remember real estate. But we've got to get this key going because here's the deal. Uh, when the credit layer of risk, our character layer of risk is top notch, meaning our frivolous debt ratio is nil and we have paid all of our bills on time for at least a couple of years. And if we've had hiccups, we've resolved them and we're more than two years away from them. Uh, Then we will get the most ideal credit rates, meaning uh, when borrowing money, you'll get the lowest interest rates available. When applying for insurance, you will get the best rates available. You know, for car insurance, did you know that they pull credits? And when they pull your credit... Sure. I did not know that. Yes. You, based on credit score, can be surcharged for your insurance. Wow. And the reason why is people statistically, this is a statistic, meaning there are facts to back this up, that people statistically with lower credit scores have higher automotive insurance claims, not just accidents, but higher claims and more frivolous claims. Mm. So we're talking, you know, and and, and where does the line between frivolous and fraud cross? You know what I mean? It's a gray area. And those people with lower credit scores are like a ballerina on that line. Yeah. But what that means for you is higher rates. So it costs more money to have crappy credit. Yeah. The bottom line. I remember thinking as a kid that that was backwards. When I was poor growing up as a young adult, I would would say, why aren't there there advantages to being poor? You know, like, why, why why does a homeowner get a nice tax write off and the renter doesn't? But because now, he's taking a risk. Yeah. He's making an investment. Right. Now I see all that stuff as a, you know, as you grow up you start to figure that stuff out. You know, but likely the person that's the homeowner versus the renter uh also mm-hmm. earns more and contributes more. Mm-hmm. And he subsidizes the renter. The renter may not get a direct tax break, but he but people that are usually kind of trapped in the bonds of tenancy and will never be homeowners, you know, those folks have other income breaks because that usually their income is under the, right. a, a certain yep. threshold. Yeah. So they're not paying income tax anyway. Right. But it's done to incentivize folks. Exactly. So exactly. um and and who wouldn't want to better themselves? Uh, everybody would want to better, better themselves. I think it has to do with you know when you're when you're young and immature and you're 
you know, you're struggling, you, you want to place the blame on somebody, so you, you place it on the government, you know, you place it on rules and regulations, whatever, whatever gets in the way, you know, and... Heaven forbid you take responsibility for your own choices. Exactly. <laughs> you know, maybe stop drinking that six-pack every night, you know. Perhaps. <laughs> or maybe just have three of the six. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe curtail, <clears throat> yeah. you know, uh, create uh, some boundaries, right. you know, um, and instead of habitually drink, ritually enjoy. Right. You know. Nice. That's a nice way of putting it. <clears throat> yeah. Um, uh, which reminds me. You know, of, you know, what is the difference between a habit and a ritual? I mean, I, you know, off the top of my head, I can't articulate a good response, but I'm sure you've got one. I do. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually have an answer for this one. So, so habit is subconscious behavior. So it just occurs. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about a coffee habit, it's just something that we do, you know, that our car automatically makes that left turn into Starbucks. Mm -hmm. Whether we're drinking coffee or not, we make that left turn. Sometimes we get a sandwich. Maybe yeah. we get an extra drink, you know. I always get my indulgence, and then I always get my big gallon of green tea for later, like to sip on throughout the day. Yeah. But the difference between that, that's a habit, but ritual is a celebration. So a ritual can occur on a, a schedule and a level of frequency but it's the experience is different because you you know when you drink coffee as a habit you just chug that stuff down it's about getting in the caffeine but if you have a salted caramel mocha with almond milk and whipped cream on top and you sit there and you savor the flavor you can tell the difference between the sweet chocolate and the salty caramel. And you notice the feeling of the cool ice cream contrasting with the hot beverage on your tongue. And you're savoring that moment. You're fully engulfed in that sensual experience. And I'm like saying sensual in the sensory awareness part, not as in the sexually <laughs> aware part. But it becomes a, a sensual experience in your present moment. And that's like the difference um, between that. And that's why I'm saying, you know, instead of just chugging them for sport and habit, you actually sit and enjoy it. Right. Because at some point, the economic theory of diminishing marginal utility kicks in. And while that first beer is so frosty and icy cold, and I love this, my high school, uh, our high school economics teacher was also the football coach. And so us cheerleaders <laughs> and the football players had to pay <laughs> in order to get into this class. Otherwise, we would have had to have wicked Miss Cameron. Wow. And, and she already hated me because I was blood drive chairman. And so all the kids that are old enough to donate blood were in her senior class. And so I had already had three years worth of burning that bridge. There was no way I was going to ever get a good grade in her class. And, and thank gosh, thank goodness for that, because had Doc Holliday not, had I not had him for economics, I would have never been as inspired 
to know that A, economics was easy, and that B, that I would love it so much that it would help me build my empire and go yeah. from being impoverished as a child to having a, a great, luxurious lifestyle now. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm thankful for Doc Holliday, but he described diminishing marginal utility as going to a party and getting that first frosty beer off mm. of the keg. Nothing like it. And so the second one is good. Never as good as the first. But n- there you go. Not as good. And by the fifth mm. one, you might be throwing up yeah. if you're a lightweight. Fifth one tastes like you know what. But so you but you spend the same amount of money, but the utility, the margin of utility or the value it brings you goes down after each one. Yeah. It's like snorting coke. Yeah, I wouldn't know about that. I can only attest to the beer drinking thing. But so so that's that's the difference between habit and ritual. And and that plays in nicely actually with this week's key because you know what keeps us from managing our credit effectively is that we have lack of impulse control. So this week's key is about creating the ideal credit profile. If you are financing your Ferragamos to be cool, to be like the fashionista that's like up to date and hip, if you are leveraging your loafers uh, or your new driver for your golf club, (laughs) for your golf bag, because you want to be able to smack them off the tee like nobody else, whatever it is, if you do not pay for it at the end of the month, you technically cannot afford it because we have to think in terms of credit as other people's money. And so would we, it's not our credit. All right. And and so this is about a mindset, not only about creating an ideal credit profile, but the ideal credit profile is at least for government financed loans, you need two trade lines, 24 months, zero lates. Um, and for conforming conventional, you need four trade lines for 24 months with zero lates. Now, you can have had the trade line longer and have had hiccups, but you have to have 24 months of solid straight payments, which plays into another thing. Credit quality is way more important than credit score because uh, people panic about credit score when it goes down, but there's so, there's 85 factors that go into credit score, but there are only three that make a hill of beans worth of difference. Okay. And uh, like 35% is open and available credit, meaning you haven't maxed out your cards yet. So the, so if you max out and pay off every month, that's different than maxing out and carrying a balance. And, And we can tell when we look at your credit report, which one you do. So if you hit your max and pay off, that's great. And that builds credit fast. But if you hit your max and make minimum payments, we can tell that too. And that's not so great because open and available credit shows that you're fiscally responsible, that you're not just going full tilt and banging out stuff. And my microphone needs to be adjusted. Am I better? Yeah, you're good. The the diaphragm on that mic is the top of the mic. Okay. You're good. I didn't realize I was pushing up on it like I, I was. Didn't want to, I didn't want to slip it away. Have so it. when we think about when we think about our credit and 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 we keep that in mind, open and available. The next thing is on time payments. Your credit score only factors in the last twenty four months of current payments. So that's a bonus for you. So if you've had a card for five years and you had some rocky roads, maybe your mail didn't forward properly, it slipped your mind, you were unemployed, you right. let some bills go, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because the score only takes into the account the last 24 months, so that needs to be perfect. <clears throat> and you can fix a crappy credit score from a shaky payment history. Yep. And that's why even if the score doesn't always reflect 
the quality of your credit, the quality of each trade line is what's going to matter more. And you can always write letters to the underwriter and get underwriting exceptions. I did it all the time on behalf of my borrowers. So it's an easy thing to do to overcome credit issues. You know, they just want to know what happened. You know, my favorite, like, four-step credit explanation letter, what happened, why did it happen, what did you do to fix it, and what are you going to do to keep it from happening again? It's that simple. And you just tell your story. In plain terms, don't try to use sophisticated terms or legal terms and blah, blah, blah. Because why? It's a biology thing because you want to tug on that underwriter's heartstrings. And all he does is read legalese and mumbo jumbo all day long. And he's clinical, clinical, clinical. That's why he's hired. So you have to get him out of that mindset and into an emotional mindset and tug on his heartstrings. So now he's championing you because his job is to protect the bank, not help you get a loan. (laughs) So once you understand that, you're much better off. So, uh, as we think about this, um, the key is, what do I need to do to get the ideal credit profile? Because we need to think in terms of, (coughs) and we'll talk about this more next week, underwriting ratios. And so, these affordability ratios are going to come into play. And if you've maxed out your credit, because you only have a certain amount of uh, your ratio reserved for frivolous debt because you have a max ratio that is both your housing as well as your total debt combined. And you don't get to max out your housing ratio and then go over the total debt ratio. It works the opposite way. So if you have more than 10% revolving debt each and every month in relation to your income, then that's going to eat away at your home ownership affordability or your real estate investment affordability. So that's it for this week's key for this week's key statement, key a- key affirmation, and key action item, as well as our um, worksheets to help you build the ideal credit profile. Please visit our website at keystoriches.com. And for the maestro of moolah, Michael Terry, I'm Heather Wagonhalls. Now go out and unlock your wealth today. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com is produced by Heather Wagonhalls and the Unlock Your Wealth Foundation. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com and its affiliates are copyrighted 2016 with all rights reserved. For more information on the Keys to Riches Financial Wellness Series, please visit our website at www.unlockyourwealth.com.